Well, when it comes to um, God's Word, as you know, we began a new, um, a new series several weeks ago where we're learning about Jesus from Jesus. Uh, the this, this sermon is basically from the very lips of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because in the Great Commission, he said, go and make disciples. And then he said, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And this morning, what we're going to talk about could be a sensitive topic um, when it comes up. Um, it's the topic of age. Age. Maybe you are self-conscious when the topic of age comes up. Uh, some people are self-conscious because of how old they are, and they prefer to keep their age secret. In fact, they've kind of been breaking a commandment and lying for the last few decades about their age because they really don't want the word to get out of just how old they are. Uh, there are some people, of course, in our world who are very self-conscious about how young they are, and they really want to be older. In fact, they may even break some laws and get a fake ID so they can convince other people that they are older. Well, when Jesus talks about his age, it's so controversial that they pick up rocks to kill him. When he talks about his age and how old he truly is, they pick up rocks to kill him because he claims to be the oldest person in all of humanity. In all of humanity. Uh, today, there's somebody in our world whose age is, a con- is controversial. In Ethiopia, there's a man who claims to be 160 years old. Yeah, I said it, 160 years, not 60, 160 years old. His name is, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but Dacobo Iba, we have a picture of him. Dacobo Iba there claims to be 160 years old. He doesn't look bad for 160, right? Right? If I was 160, I wouldn't mind. I mean, he's still got a little hair up on top after 160 years. But when he started claiming this, they decided to interview him, and the state-run TV did a 30-minute interview with him, and he claims that he was born around the 1850s. And the reason why he claims that is because he has some memories from back in that era of some leaders and some rulers. The reporter says that um, most rurally-based Ethiopians do not possess birth certificates, and so it's kind of impossible to find out and verify precisely when he was born, but his memory is profound. And the experiences that he shares are, um, are very remarkable. He, uh, they want to corroborate the data and find out if he really is that old. But one of the things that's tripping them up is they're having a hard time finding someone else from his generation. So they don't have the records. They don't have the eyewitnesses. Uh, Mom surely isn't around anymore. If it's true, he, of course, would be the Guinness Book of World Records number one uh, award winner for oldest person ever to live. The, well, according to secular records... The current holder of the record died in 1997, uh, Jean Louise Kalmet, who was 122 years and 164 days old. 122 years. Now, let me just ask you, do you think that this man truly is 160 years old? How many of you believe that he probably is 160 years old? How many of you are kind of suspicious, wondering, I'm not quite sure about that. I don't know if I can believe that sounds a little hokey and controversial for someone to claim to be 160 years old, right? Right? Well, when Jesus talked about his age, everyone around him was like, I don't know about that. You just said, what about how old you are? You want us to put how many candles on that birthday cake? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sounds fishy. To me, the reason we're talking about Jesus's age is because I want those in this church to understand something very clearly. Jesus claimed to be God. 
Maybe if I were to hand you a Bible and say, did Jesus claim to be God? Maybe you could show me where he did. Maybe if I called you up here and gave you the Bible, maybe you couldn't quite get to a place where he claimed to be God. Maybe if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you have stopped short in your heart of 100% saying, yes, Jesus did claim to be God, and yes, he was God. Maybe if you're not a Christian and you're here today, the thought of Jesus claiming to be or being God is offensive and repulsive. And I'm going to show you that it is true that the Bible says Jesus is God. And in the Bible, Jesus himself claimed to be God. Let's pray and then we'll get into the word together. Father, we thank you for your word, which has authority over all of us, whether we admit it and recognize it or not. This book is from you. This book is authored, though by the pen of humans, it's by the breath of God. And we ask that as we talk about the very nature and being of Jesus, that you would give us insight to know who he was. And Jesus, we understand that you said that you're with us always. And so we pray that you would show us who you claim to be. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Uh, If you want proof that Jesus is and claimed to be God, you're going to go to the book of John. So turn with me now to the book of John, chapter 17. I would challenge you that if you would like more insight on this topic to read the entire gospel of John and then 1 John as well. Um, But I want to cover this topic. As you know, that we, we went through some challenging verses the last several weeks about the cost of discipleship and what Jesus says it's going to be like if you follow him. Um, And now we're turning a corner and talking about who Jesus said and thinks he is. Um, But as we go through these next several weeks and talk about the person of Jesus, I want you to see um, that you can have confidence that this is indeed who he is. The first thing you can write down in your notes is this. I just want to give you this up front. Jesus is called God by others in the Bible. Go ahead and write that down. Jesus is called God by others in the Bible. This is not the main point of this series. We actually want to hear from the lips of Jesus himself, so we're not going to go to all these verses, but I put them in your bulletin for you. Uh, John 1, 1 and 18, we're going to read those, but John 20, 28, Thomas called Jesus God. In Romans 9, 5, Paul called Jesus God. And in Titus 2, 13, Paul called Jesus God. Hebrews, the author is unknown, but he was in the inner circle of apostles and disciples and elders. In Hebrews 1, 8, Jesus is called God. And then uh, the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 1.1 1, 1 calls Jesus God. So John, Thomas, Paul, Peter, somebody else from the inner circle of elders, they all say he was God. He was God. seven times. He was God. 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 Other people clearly in the Bible said Jesus was God. It's not like we're digging through footnotes or extra biblical writings to find out if someone maybe from a corner called out, oh, by the way, he's God. No, it was blatant in the scripture. It's clear. And the person at the family party who says to you, the Bible doesn't say Jesus is God. False, wrong, entirely wrong. But what does Jesus say? Does Jesus himself, does he claim to be God? Well, write this down. It is true. Jesus claimed to be God. Write it down. Jesus claimed to be God. And in John chapter 17, verse 5, uh, what we're reading is a, is a prayer. Jesus is he's talking, talking, talking to his disciples. And this is just before he's about to be betrayed and thrown on a cross. 
So imagine the setting. He's talking, I've got to tell you some things before I go on. Listen to this and that and this and that. And then, he's, and then he's like, let's pray. So just for a moment, everybody, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Put your hands together, right? You got them closed? You got your hands together? And imagine Jesus himself begins to pray. He's leading you in, Father. Okay, you can open them up for now. But this is the setting. You're just, you're just listening in as Jesus himself prays some things. But John was going to eventually write these things down for us. And what does he pray? Well, in John 17, 5, Jesus says this. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Listen again, and I want you to listen to every word. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Have you ever been praying? You got your eyes closed. You got your hands. Have you ever been praying and somebody prayed something weird? Have you ever, somebody you're smiling and nodding. Have you ever been praying and somebody else is, and they pray something weird, and you do this one-eye look, like, did they just pray that? You don't want to open both eyes, because it would feel like sinning. But you open one eye, and you're like, did that? I was at a funeral once, and the pastor was closing the funeral in prayer. And the pastor wanted to speak of this woman's love for the Lord Jesus. And on accident, he prayed, Lord Jesus, we know that you were the centerfold of her life. <laughs> And I kind of did the one I like, did he just say that? And he tried to correct it. But once you say that, everyone in the room is kind of like, whoops, awkward. I have a feeling that as they all around Jesus closed their eyes and as they all put their hands together and as Jesus began to pray, when he said this, Father, give me the glory that I had with you before the world existed I have a feeling there were some eyes that opened up. Did he, did he just say that? Shh, we're praying. Yeah, but he just said something. What? Shh, we're praying. In a prayer, Jesus said something that was astonishing. Let's take it one word at a time. He says, Father. Jesus claimed to have a special one-of-a-kind relationship to God. Now, you call God Father. In that day, they didn't. No. And in John's writings, when Jesus calls God Father, he claims to have a relationship to the Father as a son that no one else has. In John's theology, you are the slave in the household. Jesus is the son, right? And the son sets the slaves free. Jesus is the son, blood-related to God. And when Jesus calls God his Father, he's claiming to be of the same lineage, of the same stuff, the same essence, the same nature as God. He's claiming to be God. Same substance, same essence, same DNA. He calls him Father. He says, Father, glorify me. Now, who would ask this? Isaiah 48, 11 clearly says that God will not share his glory with any human And Jesus here says, Father, glorify me. Glory means honor, splendor, 
brilliance. Try praying that in your small group accountability time. Father, I would love to have honor and glory and splendor and brilliance from you. Your small group leader is going to say a thing or two to you. Okay, who do you think you are? Okay, God doesn't give his glory to anybody. Father, glorify me where? In your own presence. Anybody who exalts himself in the presence of God gets slain. No one gets uh, honor in God's presence, but God, even the angels, cover themselves up. Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had, I had with you. Give me back what I once had. You had this heavenly glory when? Before the world existed. Sometimes you like to get nostalgic, right? Like once in the 80s, I had a mullet. Raise your hand if in the 80s you had a mullet at some point. Raise it, I'm the only one. <laughs> Are you just ashamed of it? The only hairstyle that got famous on the hockey uh, skating rink. <laughs> I had a mullet in the 80s. I had, some of you might say I had bell bottoms in the 70s, or I had a muscle car in the 60s, or I had, I had, Jesus said I had heavenly glory with the Father. When? Before the world existed. Jesus claimed to be an eternal being who existed before anything else in this entire universe existed. Jesus claimed to be God. Write this down. Jesus alone is eternal like God. Jesus alone is eternal like God. Age can be one way we define greatness. And the older you are, the more respect you should get. But age can be a way we define greatness. I was at a pumpkin patch yesterday, and they had this, uh, I'll show you a picture, this cross-section of a sequoia tree there. Here's a, here's a cross-section of a sequoia tree with Lauren standing in front of it. Uh, and this part of the giant sequoia tree was actually taken from 100 feet up in the air. This is how thick it was, 100 feet up in the air. Loggers, when they chopped it down in the 50s, apparently used the first 100 feet for stuff, and the rest of it they just kind of threw away. But here's a side view. Giant sequoia trees can actually grow up to being 300 feet tall. And listen, they can live not only to be 1,000 years old, not only 2,000 years old, they can live to be 3,000 years old. Age can make something great. And put here, the next picture of this sequoia has little, they put like little labels on what was going on in human history while this tree was just a little baby growing. And one of them said the Roman Empire was there. And one of them said the birth of Christ. One of them said the birth of Mohammed. And then on it's the Civil War. And, and it went on and on and on. World War I, World War II. This one was about 2,000 years old. And then they finally, when they wanted to take it down, had to blow it up with dynamite to get the thing to fall over. Wow! This thing is great. Why? Because of its age. But there was a time when this tree wasn't around. It's not eternal. It's not forever. And the truth is, nothing in this universe or in this world is eternal. Jesus alone is eternal. One of the most humbling thoughts you will ever ponder is your own previous non-existence. You were nowhere You were no one. You were nothing. But trace history further back beyond your own non-existence and 
in the beginning of time, you reach a threshold beyond comprehension because everything this universe now contains was at one point non-existent. Nothing was. Nothing ever had been, ever. Nothing but God. Everything began in eternity in the mind of an eternal being who decided to be creative. And Jesus says, I was there. Did Jesus claim to be God? I want you to say it. Did Jesus claim to be God? Not precisely. He just said he was there. This is not the time to split hairs. He claimed to be an eternal being. He claimed to be there. John, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1 now, but hold your place in John 17. We're going to spend a little time in John 1. Okay, maybe he was there. Doesn't mean he was God. In John chapter 1, what we find is Jesus was doing the very things God was doing and only God could do. John chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see how that word, Word, is capitalized? Word. Word used to be a hip thing to say, Word. (laughs) Started here. In the beginning was the Word. Why would he use that? Well, word was kind of a unifying word. I feel weird just keep saying it now. Word was a unifying word back in this day because the Greeks thought that word uh, was the rational principle that described reality. Uh, Logos in, in the Greek was the rational principle that described reality or the ultimate expression of truth. They would just call it the word. To the Jews... The word of God represented God's power expressed in creation. God spoke and it was his word that called forth everything rushing into existence from nothing. His word did that in creation. His word did that in revelation. He would call his people and tell them things. His word was also his power in deliverance. He would call them forth from slavery and bondage. It was God's word. So John uses this capital W word to unify the Greeks and the Jews. Basically, what this word means is divine self-expression, divine disclosure. It's the way God makes himself known. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. In the proximity of, but not quite entirely the same. Like, there before anything, but with. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now that's just a mind blower. There with God is God. We see here a a description of what we would call the Trinity, where Jesus can be 100% God, and yet a distinct person within that triune God. Is he God? Yes, 100% he is. Is he God the Father? No, there are different persons of the Trinity. I don't get that. That makes my head hurt. (laughs) Yeah, join the club. Join the club. Jonathan Edwards says, He who would deny the Trinity would lose his soul, and he who would too much seek to understand the Trinity will lose his wits. He was with God. He was there before there was anything. Yeah. He was kind of different, well, distinct, yeah. But he was entirely God, yeah, both. 
It makes Jesus one of a kind and numbered within the three-person triune God known as the Trinity. Well, if he was different, he couldn't be entirely God. No, it says he's entirely God. Well, if he's entirely God, he has to be God the Father. No, it says he was different. Both are true. I can't understand that. Yeah, God vastly exceeds our capacity to comprehend him. Because we're created. Trying to figure out the Trinity as a human with a human mind is like trying to download a 50 terabyte file into your solar powered calculator. It's not going to happen and it's not supposed to happen. Okay? But Jesus alone is eternal like God. Now, a few notes about this universe. Write this down. Nothing in this universe is eternal. Nothing in this universe is eternal. Scientists consistently have displayed by observation and testing that everything in this universe began to exist at a single point in time. Although in Jesus' day, the Greeks, and even up until the 1900s, the secular minds, the brightest, most brilliant secular minds throughout history, thought the world, the universe, was eternal. Just like God. They thought the universe never started. They thought it was all around forever. The smartest, you stand up there in lectures, 100 years, two, 500 years, 1,000 years, 1,900 years, they'd all say the same thing. Universe is eternal. Write it down. Universe Textbooks all said it. And then what happened? Well, in the 1900s, Edwin Hubble in 1929, we got a picture of him. Here's Edwin Hubble. And we know he's really smart because he smoked a pipe. Edwin Hubble discovered by um, looking through a telescope and the redshift in the lens of stars that the universe was uniformly expanding away from a single point, and therefore, if you reversed it, the universe must have actually began and popped into being in a single moment in time, and he was scorned for it in the academic communities. In fact, the term Big Bang Theory was a, like a curse word, like, oh, the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Everybody laugh. <laughs> Come on, laugh. <laughs> Is what they did to Hubble. <laughs> And then one by one, they realized it was true. Einstein said it was ruining his math. He called the idea irritating that the universe had a beginning. But now we know it's true. They all know it's true. They can't deny it. The universe began at a point in time. And not just matter. Time started. Space. There was no space. It's not like there was just this big, empty vacuum void. Space is actually a sea of fluctuating energy. There is not in the visible realm, but there is connections, material connections throughout space. Space was created. There was, when I say there's nothing, I don't mean like close your eyes and this kind of nothing. I mean like put your hand behind your head, like this kind of, I see nothing back here. That kind of nothing. There was nothing. Nothing in this universe is eternal. And they just recently found out what the Bible declared in Genesis chapter 1. We had that cosmological puzzle solved long ago. Moses had that figured out. Write this down. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Uh, this is the law of causality. It's true of everything. Nothing, that brings, uh, nothing can bring itself into existence. And everything that begins to exist has a cause. So listen, when you talk to people who will say the universe just started on its own, it sprang forth from nothingness, and we don't know how that happened. That's the most unscientific, irrational assertion that you can hear about the origin of this universe. 
It's not seen anywhere throughout the universe that something brings itself spontaneously into existence. Anything that begins to exist has a cause. And then you'll hear someone say, yo, what about God? (laughs) Who started him? No, that's not the law. The law is everything that begins to exist has a cause. Jesus is eternal. He is uncreated. He never started existing. He always just is. And nothing else in this universe can say that. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. And here, Jesus claimed to be, before anything was, not a particle, not a force lingering around, a person. A person who transcends everything in this universe entirely, making him God the Son. Did Jesus claim to be God? Tell me, did Jesus claim to be God? He did. And in John chapter 1, it unpacks this idea of if he was around forever, what difference does it make and what difference does it make to me? So this takes us to our next series of points here. Write this down. He wasn't just sitting around on a rocking chair in eternity past. Write this down. Jesus is the creator of everything. He was doing what only God could do back in eternity with God. He's the creator of everything. John chapter 1 verse 2 says, He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, All things were made through him, And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. In other words, mind-blowing again, he needs nothing to exist. You wander out into the middle of the Mojave Desert, you'll find out real quick what you need to keep living. You don't have life in you. Life comes from the things around you and is put inside of you. Not so of Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He is What gave life to everything in this world, what gave light to everything in this world, is Jesus. And I love this, the statement of triumph after everything that's happened in this world since creation. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When Jesus stepped down into this world, it was our creator who was there from the beginning. The creator who stepped into creation and showed that the light is still around, though the darkness has tried to put it out. What a statement of triumph. What difference does it make? Well, if he was there from the beginning, the Bible says he was there creating. And he was the creator making everything in all creation. There's a lot of things in this world that are pretty intricately designed, right? I always love finding out about new critters, new creatures out there that just are so amazing. Um, I've got a few here (laughs) that I found recently. The first one, I mean, this is just a frog. uh, but, But according to the Bible, Jesus thought that up. Designed it. Color, shape, it's, it's uh, length of the legs and everything. Jesus apparently, allegedly, scripturally thought that up. Maybe you have not heard of some of the other ones, though. This next one is the panda ant. Have you ever seen a panda ant? Way at the beginning, in eternity past, what was Jesus doing? He was thinking stuff up like the panda ant. Or how about this one? Have you ever seen a Venezuelan poodle moth? This is a Venezuelan poodle moth. I want it to have big black eyes and these weird little horses. It's going to look like a moth, but it's going to look like a poodle. It's going to be awesome. How about this next one? Take a look at the picture. This one's just ugly. This is the goblin shark. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he can't have bad days in eternity past, but something in him wanted to create that thing. <laughs> and how about this next one? This is just weird. This next one is called the red-lipped batfish. Have you ever seen a red-lipped batfish? It's going to look like it has lipstick. And this next one, of course, big and small, things 
large, things small in the air, in the sea. Uh, According to the Bible, what was Jesus doing in eternity past? He was thinking stuff up and making it, designing it, building it. The Bible teaches no less of Jesus Christ. Which means he designed you. Which means he's your creator. Listen and let that soak in. Which means Jesus is your creator. Nothing less. Thought you up, knit you together, gave you life. See, when you find out the creator of something, even like a piece of art or a house, you know, if you find out that, um, you find out like this is a Frank Lloyd Wright, who created it? Guess what goes up? It's value. Or a piece of art, maybe a painting or a sculpture. Who did that? It was Picasso. Picasso? It's so hideous and ugly. Yeah, but it's Picasso. See, if he were still here today, he could say, that's mine. I did it. Give it to me. Ownership. The creator reveals ownership. I did that. It's mine. It also reveals value. I did that. It's worth more than everything you own. And the same thing is true of Jesus. If it's true that he created everything, if it's true that he created you, he owns you. In the 80s, I had a Cabbage Patch doll. You can laugh at me. You're doing it. (laughs) So what? Lots of guys had them. You knew it was a true Cabbage Patch doll because they signed the butt, right? They signed the name on it. You got to check it. Yep, true thing. And and they find ways on toys to make the the Beanie Babies have to have the tag. No tag. Not a Beanie Baby, right? Care Bears had to have the heart, right? Ownership. Okay, that was a little weird. I just had a little flashback there, channeling my inner 80s. What's sad is that some people in this world, when they note its complexity and they note how amazing it is, and then they realize that somehow we have been intelligently awakened to how amazing it is, they sadly conclude with this amazing mind that came from somewhere uh, that we must be very small and insignificant. Stephen Hawking said this, We are such insignificant creatures on a minor planet of a very average star in the outer suburbs of one of 100,000 million galaxies. So it is difficult to believe in a God that would care about us or even notice our existence. See, but in, in my Bible, in verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Your Creator, who was around from the beginning, putting everything together, stepped into this world. Wow. What difference does it make? He came for what was His own, and that's you. He is the Creator of everything. Write this down. What difference does it make if he's been around forever? Write this down. Well, he has supremacy over every person. He has supremacy over every person. Because he is eternal, he is therefore supreme and greater than everyone in the Bible and everyone throughout history who you may see as of value. This also includes you. He's greater than you. He outranks you and any other source of truth you may look to to find out understanding. He also outranks any other spiritual authority who's ever lived, who claims to give you some spiritual leg up or incentive on the road to heaven. He outranks them all, by far. He has supremacy over every person. We're going to put it on the screen here, but here's John eight fifty eight. John eight fifty eight. he was in a fight 
with people who were not happy with him. And he's talking about Abraham, and he says, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Now, Abraham lived like long, 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 long uh, before Jesus came into the world, a couple thousand years. And, and, yet, and yet here, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I existed before he existed. And that last little phrase there should trigger a flashback for you back into the book of Exodus where God revealed his name to Moses. And I am that I am. Tell them the I am has sent you. Jesus just took God's name tag, slapped it on himself. Before Abraham was, I am. And they clearly knew what he was claiming because they picked up rocks that were intended to hit him in the head and cave in his skull and kill him. But he just got away. They couldn't touch him. He uses his age to claim supremacy over every person who is great. And the word I am, the name, what kind of a name is that? That's not in the baby name book. I am? Why would God name himself I am? It means he just is and has been forever, and no one else can say that. He's ageless. He's infinite. He's self-existent. I am. Matthew 22, 43 to 46, we'll put that on the screen too. Jesus said to them, how is it then that David, okay, lived after Abraham, right? David in the spirit calls him, that's the Messiah, Lord, saying the Lord said, so the Lord God the Father said to my Lord, this Messiah, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he David's son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. All the smarty pants is around him. Jesus asked him this question, and they're all like, oh. and these are guys who would kill it on like Jewish Jeopardy, all right? They would win every time they were so smart. And Jesus asked this question, and they're like, we're out, we're out. Or the modern-day translation would be, duh. David called him Lord, How is he his son? Jesus was claiming to be older than and greater than even King David. So Jesus has supremacy over every person. Jesus is the creator over everything. Here's the next one. Jesus alone, therefore, can give eternal life. He alone can give eternal life. What he has and what he has had from eternity, the only place you can get it is from him. Look back to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Now we'll go back. So Jesus is praying. You remember that? Disciples are all around. We've got our eyes closed, and Jesus is saying some kooky things. We've all can't open our eyes, though, because Jesus is praying. So in John chapter 17, verse 1, we already read verse 5. Now we're going to read what he said leading up to that. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. How is God going to glorify the Son? Well, it says, since you have given him authority over all flesh. So Jesus is now going to get what God has been planning to give him forever. Authority over all flesh. How will the Son glorify the Father? To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus alone claims to be able to dispense eternal life. And God the Father is getting eternal life to you through only God the Son. What is eternal life? Well, it means more than life forever. 
Um, the nature of what you were made to be, when God put you together, you not only have a body and a mind, but you have a soul. You're an undying creature. Okay? In terms of the fact that you're spiritual, once the body dies and shuts off, you're still going to be conscious. Like, there's never going to be a point in your entire existence where you shut off and you're just gone. You're always going to be conscious in this world and in the next. It's the way God made you. Why does hell exist? Why can't God just turn people off? You're not made that way. You're made in his likeness. You're made to, once you come into being, you're made to be throughout all time. That doesn't make you eternal. It makes you more like on the one way, an unending being, just like God. Angels are the same way, by the way. Angels are created beings. In Colossians chapter 1, it says that Jesus made everything not only on earth, but in heaven. Heaven is a created place. Jesus filled that whole house up. Angels started to be, and they continue to be, just like you, making Jesus totally unique. Therefore, the question of eternal life is not, are you going to live forever? Oh, you're going to live forever. Just in what relationship? Eternal life is more than life forever. It's having a personal knowledge of the Father arrived at through the Son. And if the Son is life, if you have Him, you have life forever. If you don't have him, you will live in a state of painful separation from life and blessing and light forever. It will be torment. It will be just. No one's going to put a case together to say, I don't deserve to be here. And it'll be forever. And who on the globe is subject to this setup of I have to go to the Son to get to the Father? It says here, all flesh, which means this is a message of hope for the entire world. The only name given among men by which we must be saved is the name of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, because he alone is eternal. He alone came down. He alone can dispense life. It's in his being. You need what only Jesus can give you, life that outlives this life in connection with him. What difference does it make? Well, he's a creator of everything. He has supremacy over every person. He alone can give eternal life. Here's the last one. He will rule forever. He will rule forever. Therefore, if you're connected by submission under his rule, you'll be in his kingdom, which is heaven, his kingdom forever. If you remain a rebel and you refuse to repent and bow yourself before him, then you will be exiled from his kingdom, which is heaven forever. Because you have provoked an eternal being who made you and deserves your allegiance. You have provoked him and spurned him and shut him out. And hell is a place of your own choosing. He will rule forever. Micah 5, 2, it says this. We'll put this up on the screen. Even in the Old Testament, it was, the Messiah was described as one who is eternal. It says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, get this, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Wow. Daniel seven thirteen to 14 talks about the eternal kingdom of Christ. It says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, that's God the Father, was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. 
This talks about the eternality of the coming Messiah, the power that comes with his title, and the responsibility of everyone who learns about this person to fall in line with his truth. This qualifies Jesus as the ultimate eternal ruler. And your eternity depends on your relationship to the one who will rule forever. Jesus claimed to be God. The Bible claimed Jesus was God. And not just in obscure places. The Bible says Jesus is God. Jesus said Jesus is God. Do you believe Jesus is God? See, because if you come in at like, well, 50-50. If you say, well, you know, like 99%, I'm almost there. But like, really? Can't quite be so sure. I mean, do I really need to believe he's God to actually go to heaven? Well, if you believe he's less than what he said, then you're not believing the Bible. You're believing yourself. And you're trusting an entirely different truth claim to sail you into eternity. And that truth claim is false. And the Messiah you claim to follow is not the Messiah of the Bible, which means you don't have hope of heaven. See, you have to believe that Jesus is God, the Son, who came into this world, the creator stepping into creation, who owns it all, who died on the cross, though he didn't have to, who took the penalty of all the sins of this world upon his own self, who was thrown into a tomb, and then who rose up again triumphantly because he is the resurrection and the life showing you that after death he can give you life that will never end. And he's the only one throughout history who can do that for you. This is the Jesus who you must come to for salvation. This is also the Jesus who walks with you through life, through this life and through the next life. When he said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, he claimed to be omnipresent with each one of us. He claimed to walk us individually through the pains and the trials and the hard heartaches of this life. It's God, the Son, who is accompanying you through this life. It's God, the Son, who made everything that you enjoy. It's God, the Son, who made the beauty that you see. Jesus did that. Here's the conclusion. Write this down. This is what we must believe. Conclusion. I believe Jesus is the eternal, uncreated creator who ranks over everyone who gives eternal life, and who will rule forever. This is what it means when you confess Jesus is Lord. You're saying all of this is true. And we want to encounter God in this world. We want to relate to him. We want to know he's more than unknowable, more than disinterested, more than undefinable or unrelatable. We want to know the eternal, unapproachable God, and that's why he came down. When you understand that Jesus is God, your faith in him grows to be something unbreakable. Uh, Your problems shrink by comparison to his immensity. Your mind is stretched to its very limits, and then you stand by awestruck, and you simply worship him as your Lord and as your Savior, Jesus who claimed to be God. Let's pray to this Jesus right now. Lord Jesus, we take a moment right now at the end of hearing that your word clearly and unmistakably says that you are God. Always have been, always will be. 
apostles and authors of the New Testament said, you're eternal, you're God. The Old Testament, in describing you before you came into the world, said, you are from old, you are ancient, you are God. I just pray that you would resolve this question in the hearts of all of your followers who might be ashamed to tell people Jesus is God, who might be pressured and tempted to reduce the deity of Jesus by even a fraction of a percent to make Jesus more relevant or safe or historic, to make him less intimidating or controversial. Away with all of that. Lord, help us to proudly say who you claim to be without shame, without fear. And help us to let all those around us deal with the truth that you proclaim. Lord Jesus, I just pray for those in this room who maybe up until this point today would have said you were a great man, a loving individual, a good person, religious teacher, nothing more. Lord, there may be some in this room today who may want to understand and confess and agree with what your word says, that you were God and you came for us. Light in the darkness to save us. Life for the dead to bring us back. Lord, some may want to pray and ask you to be their Savior and their Lord today. They may just want to pray this. Lord Jesus, I believe what I've heard today. I know I have dishonored you and disgraced you and rebelled against you, but as of right now, I ask you to be my Savior. I ask you to be my Lord. I ask you to be my King. I ask you to be my God now and forever. Father, give those individuals hope. Give them peace. And help every one of your followers as we walk with you this week to know who it is that goes before us, who it is that stands beside us, who it is that resides within us. It is our great God. It is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in his name above all names we pray, amen.